Welcome to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume Rx, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self-discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth all through the lens of nursing. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Nurse Becoming podcast. It's your host, Amanda, as always. So happy to have you here, especially for this episode. I feel like I'm excited about every episode, but I'm especially excited about this one. I got an email a few months ago from a new grad NP named Shelby who wanted to introduce herself and connect with me and share a bit about her story and her process and how she managed to not only land her dream clinical rotation, but also turn that clinical rotation into a job offer that was held for her for a year while she was getting ready to graduate. And This email really stuck out to me. And when we connected, I said, you know, I would love to have you on the podcast to share your story, kind of like a case study. And she agreed, which I'm so grateful for. So I'm going to be introducing you to Shelby Pope. She is a mom of two. She's a wife. She lives in Oklahoma and she's a new grad NP with seven plus years of pretty diverse registered nursing experience in neuro and ICU and ambulatory care. And she just has a very interesting and unconventional personal story in terms of the kind of pathway that led her to parenthood, as well as her story of becoming a nurse and then becoming an NP. And so we'll dive into her story a little bit. And then in the second half of the show, we'll really unpack what Shelby did and how she approached her clinical rotations, which I know if you're an NP student, this is definitely a a big struggle to find clinical rotations if you have to find your own. So Shelby outlines a really great approach, which is endorsed by me 100% and talks a little bit about how she not only secured this clinical rotation, but also ensured that it was something that could lead to future opportunities. So I will let her tell that story. So without further ado, let's get into my interview with Shelby Pope. Hey, Shelby, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? I am doing great. I am so excited to have you on today. And I would love for you to start. I've already done your official introduction, but if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself in your own words and let my listeners know a little bit about you, who you are, and a little bit about your nursing story before we dig into some more details. Sure. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here. And I'm sure like as you've already said, I'm Shelby. I'm a third year family nurse practitioner student. I will be graduating with my doctoral degree in one month. I'm super excited. I passed ANCC boards back in November. I've been a nurse now for seven years. I am specialty certified as a stroke nurse. I have experience in all things neuro, about two years of med surge flow experience. Um, There was like 11 months of ICU experience in there. I've been working the last two years in an ambulatory care setting as an urgent care nurse while I go to school. 
all of my experience has been within the same large hospital system in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I plan to continue as a nurse practitioner. I'm a mom to a nine-year-old little girl and two-year-old very feral little boy. (laughs) (laughs) My, My daughter was not even one when I decided to go to nursing school. I had my son in graduate school. Apparently, I'm a glutton for punishment. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My husband and I have now been together for 11 years, and we live in a really small rural town in Oklahoma. Awesome. And, you know, Shelby, you and I met, quote unquote, because you emailed me out of the blue and you wanted to tell me about yourself and share your story. And I think that that's a really important point to make is that you reached out to me first and you had something that you wanted to say and share, which I thought was so admirable, uh, which kind of kicked off our talking and our friendship. So I'd love to like go back to before you sent me that email and tell me like why you wanted to connect with me and share your story. Sure. So first, thank you for that. I'm glad that you thought it was admirable. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just very mindful of like the overall new grad mindset um, and imposter syndrome of which I'm really trying to address or rather stay ahead of as best I can. I listened to a lot of podcasts on my way to work and I stumbled across the one that you did with Josh about like landing his dream job in the NICU months before graduating as an RN. And I was just like, hey, I did that as an MP student and someone may be able to take away something from my story all about nurturing our up and coming generation of nurses and NPs. So I reached out to you and long story short, here we are. Yeah. And I'm so I'm so glad that you did. Like I get a fair amount of emails and and most of them are like, hey, can you help me out with this particular experience that I'm going through? And the reason why yours stood out was because you weren't necessarily asking me for something, you were essentially wanting to kick off a relationship, like a network connection. Yes. Um, And the way that you approached that I thought was great and and such a great example of what others should be doing as part of their job search as well, rather than emailing someone directly asking for a job, for example, you know, finding a way to kick off the relationship without making a big ask. Absolutely. I think it's probably going to come up again, but I just want to put a plug in here. Network, network, network. (laughs) Yes, 100%. I think that there, yeah, I can't, I can't stress that enough. And um, we've had a few episodes recently um, that I'll link to in the show notes that are all about networking. So you can kind of hear about it now in action and then uh, hear me talk about it solo in these other episodes that I will link. Just writing a note to myself to put those in the show notes. First of all, what we're going to talk about in this episode, so we're going to go into a little bit of your personal story, your nursing journey, um, how you approached your clinical rotations in a way that really made the most of your education, how you ended up securing a job. And then what we'll do is we'll kind of outline the process that you used so that our listeners, if they're in similar situations, can take some of your best practices uh, and maybe implement them. So Let's kick things off by going way back to uh, when you were a kid. I want to know, like, what were you like as a kid? Were there any clues growing up that you could (laughs) eventually be a nurse? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I was very chubby (laughs) and super awkward, very nerdy. I am a twin 
and I have two older brothers, all of which were like very athletic and like beautiful. And just to like put this, <laughs> I laugh at it now, but oh my gosh. So just to like put it in reference, I was very much the black sheep. I went to an extremely small school in Southern Illinois and that's where I grew up. And um, we had a really small town of like, I don't know, like 2,500 or 3,000 people. My graduating class had like 50 kids in it. So I came from a little bit of a blended family. My my brothers had a different last name, but being such a small town and such a small school, like everyone knew like who everyone was. Well, I was just so different from my siblings that I literally had people ask me like, hey, are you related to my twin? Like, <laughs> yeah, she's my twin sister. So thank you. You make me feel really good about myself. So I was just like super nerdy, kind of stuck to the books big time. I think I had considered med school in high school. There wasn't ever like an indication that I was going to go into nursing. I was all, always very like math and science oriented. So there wasn't like a book report on Florence Nightingale or or anything. No, that really no, spirited. no, no. Old Flo didn't come into the into the picture for me really. <laughs> I did. So, I did work at a vet clinic um, my senior year of. I know animals aren't really even close to humans, but just the like the nurturing aspect. I worked at a vet clinic my senior year of high school and I really, really enjoyed it. So that may have kind of kickstarted a little bit. Like I've always loved animals. And so that, there was probably a little bit of underlying like, hey, I should probably take care of either a, just another creature in general. Hmm. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's a clue. That's a good clue. So I want to know then, when did you decide to pursue nursing? Was it like a very conscious decision? Did you kind of fall into it? What was your life like around that time? So very much fell into it. Uh, I'll just go ahead and preface that this was not glamorous. I, I don't really have this like beautiful experience that inspired me to become a nurse just for the sake of authenticity. I was a young, unmarried new mother. I got pregnant super young and had my daughter at 18. I set myself up and I, and I own that 100%. I set myself up for a very questionable future in terms of my baby's father. We became pregnant after, how do I say this, like eloquently, very casually dating for like two months. I realized very quickly that I needed a steady job and just happened to know of a scholarship opportunity that I could potentially qualify for. It was funded by the state of Illinois as a full ride through nursing school. It paid for childcare, for my scrubs, my books. Um, I applied, got it, and the rest is history. Yeah, so not super glamorous, but it's my re reality and I don't really have any regrets. I commend you, first of all, for sharing vulnerably because sometimes that's not easy when we know that we don't have the most glamorous path or that it's a non-traditional path. But I think it's important to point out that it's not common to have a glamorous path. You know, right. like, it's very rare for someone to have this picture perfect sequence of events in any aspect of life. And I think that it's so important for us to hear stories like yours to validate our own experiences that may not may not have gone like we like we planned. So I think that's really important to point out for sure. And I just like, I really appreciate that so much. And I'm very mindful of how transparency can cultivate an experience for someone else because 
I mean, I feel like sometimes it's just so easy, especially in the, like the social media driven world that we live in. It's so easy to see the highlights of everyone's life. Like you don't see the the nitty gritty background, you know, noise that people are having to deal with. And I think it's important to to speak to that and to to show people like, hey, I didn't come from a lot and it's not glamorous. And I, I made some some very adult decisions very early on. I won some very adult prizes and I own them. And here we are today. We're doing okay. I would say so. I think that, you know, we'll get into kind of more of your story and all that. But I think the rest of your story is not necessarily what should have happened. Right. Like if right. we, if we right. kind of look at statistically the, the career path or the life of young unwed teen moms, like you definitely overcame some serious stakes against you, I would say. You're absolutely right. It's just so, we're probably getting like deep, deeper into this than you wanted to, but it's just <laughs> so easy to play the victim card when it comes to that. Looking back on it, it would have just been very easy for me to, and I, I say easy and that maybe that's the wrong like adjective. It would just be easy to say like, no, I'm, I'm a single mom. Like I made this bad decision. I need to just go ahead and start working at, you know, some job that's going to make ends barely meet. I can just collect money off the government the rest of my life. Like it's just easy to get and and I grew up like that. I, I mean, it's in my family. So I don't know, for me, I just decided I had to be resilient and overcome and I did. So it's doable. I'm a living, breathing example of that. <laughs> so Shelby, do you think that that was a, like, was it a conscious decision of I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be resilient and I'm going to do all these things. Or were those more innate traits that you already had? Um, I think to say that there wasn't anything innate about it would not be fair. I'm sure that there's something in me that maybe um, set the groundwork for that, whether it be innate or like a conditioning or what have you. But it absolutely 100% required a conscious decision day in and day out to stick with it. I mean, Mm. Noni was, I think, like 48 hours old, and I was taking my prereqs for nursing school, and I left her home with my, he was my boyfriend at the time, and went right back to lecture, and um, I was doing a lot of night classes because that's what worked, you know, like whenever you're a young mom and my now husband, um, he worked, you know, like a nine-to-five job, and I just figured it out. I made a conscious decision every single day. Like I have to get up at 4 a.m. and I have to do these things and I have to keep my grades really high for this scholarship. And I just did everything I absolutely could day in and day out to set myself up for success because I had a little human that required me to do that. Yeah. Wow. You know, you and I have such opposite pathways, like in terms of when we did our career work and became parents. Like I was an NP before I even had my first kid. And, you know, just to like put myself in your headspace of 48 hours after having a baby to like go back to that type of responsibility or even like still be in school. It's just like, we all have our different versions of, of hard, but I think it's really I'm not sure that I I wouldn't have quit myself, you know, like if that were. Oh, I definitely don't recommend it. I don't like. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I don't. And 
And I admire your story story so much because I'm not saying there's a right or wrong in terms of what people should or shouldn't do because everyone's life is different and everyone's experiences and outcomes are different. But like I just had a patient the other day in, in primary care who was doing like the counseling prior to getting pregnant. I forget what that's called now. Preconception. Preconception. Yes. Yes. So she came in and she was like on all these vitamins and had it like on a calendar of when her and her husband who were newlyweds wanted to start planning, you know, to have a baby and and I just sat there in awe, like, and <laughs> I think she like recognized the awkwardness of it after a while. And I was like, this probably sounds weird, but I just want you to know that I like highly respect you and what you're doing because this is phenomenal. Like I was 18 when I <laughs> had my first child and I can promise you that there was no prenatal vitamin in my system. There was probably alcohol at some point. <laughs> in my system prior to the conception of my first child. Like there was just some really poor decisions I made. And so I just, I don't know. I just really respect when people plan accordingly. And I think that has kind of carried over. Like I learned the very hard way of what not planning does for you. And I'm like, no, I'm planning it all now. Like (laughs) every bit of this is in my control and I will control what I can. Well, that's a good, um, that's a good segue because I want you to tell us about your first nursing job. And I know that you didn't have that, you know, picture perfect experience in your first job, but then you kind of did something about it and turned it into a research topic. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So when I got my nursing degree, it was just an ADN. Um, I shouldn't say just an ADN. It was an ADN, um, which is great. I, started working in a big hospital in Tulsa and they had the clinical ladder thing. I'm not sure if that's common. I've only worked in one health system, so I'm not sure if that's like super common in other health systems where like you have to do like a quality improvement project. You have to pursue mm-hmm. your bachelor's. You check all these boxes and then you get like a higher rank as a nurse or you get a, a higher pay grade. So I decided to pursue my bachelor's and I was doing that in night school as I was working full time during the day. And it's... <laughs> I should also say, like, when I got my first nursing job, I did none of the things that you recommend. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like none. I, um, I, we were living in Illinois at the time. We knew we were going to be moving to Tulsa. So prior to graduating, I literally just Googled, like, the two major health systems in Tulsa that had, like, the highest ratings. And I just submitted all kinds of applications to both. I interviewed at the first one that I got a call back on and accepted the offer immediately. You know, like, they said all the things that that you hear. And I don't want to speak ill of my health system because I continue to work for them. But, you know, it's just a very common thing to be told. Like, oh, well, you'll never have a... And we laugh to keep from crying, (laughs) but it's like, you'll never have um, more than a four to one or a five to one patient ratio. And and my interview was in a certified stroke center. It was the first of its kind in Tulsa. And um, it's really like a step down ICU for people listening that aren't familiar with stroke centers. Um, So I would take all like the post-acute TPA, uh, lots of like oh my gosh, hemiplegic, incontinent, a lot of brain bleeds, an astronomic amount of drips, like heparin drip, amiodarone, cardizem, like a very high acuity for the floor in terms of like med surge goes. Like it would be absolutely nothing to have four patients that are hemiplegic that you have to they either have NG tubes or all these drips that you have to worry about monitoring. Some are on mannitol. Like there's just a lot of factors that play into this. A lot of things you have to be tracking. There's blood pressure parameters. So I was promised, you know, like you'll never have more than five patients in a shift. And 
Like it just never happened. Like <laughs> once I got off orientation very quickly, there would be like a rare five to one ratio. But for the most part, it was six to seven patients a day, constantly understaffed in terms of like nurses assistants, because it was a really heavy floor. Like all of these patients are incontinent and it requires a lot of work to keep everyone clean and turn to keep them from getting bed sores. You had a lot of catheters. I mean, there was just so much. I mean, it was just, and looking back on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I started there as a new nurse because had I had any experience prior to starting, I never, ever would have lasted ever. But what I recognized, the nurses that had been there for a long, there was an, a very high turnover rate on the floor first off, like very high. But the ones that like the few, like there was like maybe six nurses that had been there for quite a while, like greater than four to five years. And there was just a general like issue with just mean girl mentality, like this incivility, lots of like hostility, like underlying passive aggressive, just an added dynamic that's just completely unacceptable in any workplace, but I feel so, so strongly about it being in healthcare. Like it's just, it interferes with patient care. It's not how I've ever been as a human. I like for everyone to get along. I was friends with everyone growing up. It's just drama is not necessary. So I recognized that that was a huge issue on my floor and I didn't like it. So I was going to school for my bachelor's and then, you know, my professor was like, hey, in order for these for this big paper you need to write, you should pick a topic that you feel passionately about. And I recognized that incivility was a huge thing. So I started doing research. And as it unfolded, like, this is a real thing in nursing. Like, I, I was still very new in nursing, like, maybe like a year, year and a half in. And incivility had been well studied. Um, and it's an issue just like throughout. And I don't know if there's a lot of confounding like variables with it. Like, is it the fact that it's a very predominantly female profession or is it just like the world of medicine? Is it the Florence Nightingale mentality? Cause that feeds into it. Like there's just so much that needs to be addressed. So I did a ton of research and then did this quality improvement project. And long story short, I ended up developing, I'm pretty proud of it, like this really cool like poster. I wrote like this really long paper and it, uh, my professor raved about it. And it really gave me like this like <laughs> abnormal confidence boost. And I was just really feeling myself one day. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go talk to, to someone higher than my manager about this. I'm going to, I'm going to get this addressed because this is an issue. And I think, I think we can work on it and it's just not necessary. So I tucked my little, you know, eighth grade science fair trifold poster under my armpit and just like marched up to the CNO's office of this huge health system. Like I really knew what I was doing, you know, like, and <laughs> I look back on it and I was so freaking naive. It's just, unbelievable. I just go in there to have this thing tucked under my arm and, and knock on the, on the glass window of, you know, the secretary's office. And when I say this is like a 600 bed hospital, like this is no, like, this is not like some rural hospital that everyone knows everyone. Like I've never met the CNO. I'd never even seen her in person. And here I am like standing in her secretary's office who I'm sure she has like an insane schedule. And I'm just knocking on the glass, like demanding my five minutes of time, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> so the stars just aligned. The secretary was like, you know, like her eyes screamed, who is this heifer? Like, <laughs> And I explained, you know, like, hey, I have this issue on my floor. I work on such and such. I did this project for my bachelor's degree and I just really wanted to share it with someone. And 
I was like, I was wondering if I could speak to the CNO. And she was like, well, usually we, you know, of course, how administration works, usually we go by appointments. And she's like, but let me just give her a call real quick. And it, and like I said, the stars aligned. She happened to have like 15 minutes. So she was like, and the secretary was even like completely blown away. She's like, actually, she has a few minutes and she'd like to see you. So I go back to the office and plop my little trifold up on her desk <laughs> and give my spiel. And, you know, like, I'm so glad I didn't really think about it prior to doing it because she then said, oh my gosh, I love this. Like, can you be back here next week to present and like have a PowerPoint and present to all the directors? And, you know, like here I am on cloud nine and like all these endorphins and I'm like, yeah, I could, I could do that. And then as I'm walking out, I realized like, Shelby, you have like this extreme fear of public speaking. And here you are going <laughs> to speak in front of like 12 directors of your hospital about workplace incivility and how it negatively affects patient outcomes. And I just sucked it up and I did it. And it actually went really well. And they ended up like developing this whole committee and a study group on it. And we did all these interventions. And now it's like health system wide, we're like addressing workplace incivility through education measures. So it's, yeah, kind of wild. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I guess it kind of is. (laughs) And, you know, I think the the best, I mean, the best visual is just like picturing you with your science fair poster board <laughs> under your arm, like just marching yourself up to the administration office. But, you know, you said something that like you didn't know where all that confidence came from, but it was, it was the fact that you were confident that led you to do that. Yes, it was 100% confidence. It was 100% that made me do it. And just to make it really clear, whether you were confident or not, the content of your presentation was the same, right? So just think about what wouldn't have happened if your lack of confidence prevented you from sharing that that information, you know? Absolutely. That's so funny. That actually just came up this week in, in one of my clinical experience. It's not about like what you say, it's how you say it, like 110%. It's how you carry yourself. And I think that definitely I lived that experience then. Like I look back on it and I laugh because it's just, there's so many parts of it that just should not have worked out the way it did, but it did. And I learned so much from it and I made a lot of connections doing that. So I, yes, no regrets, no regrets with that at all. Yeah. I think that's really, it's great that you were able to live that experience because I bet now that will help you kind of hype yourself up for any other similar experiences. Right. Like if I can walk into the CNO's office with my trifold, I can do just about anything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love that story. I'm so glad that you were able to share it. Hey there, friend. If you are a brand new nurse practitioner or an NP student nearing graduation, I have the perfect resource for you that will help you get all your ducks in a row as you get started with your job search. It's called the Nurse Practitioner Graduation Survival Guide, and you can get it totally free at my website at theresumerx.com slash npgrad. This guide will help break down the glossary of all the terms and acronyms that you will need to be applying for. Think like NPI and DEA, as well as giving you the typical timeline of everything that needs to happen before you can start working as an NP. I can't wait for you to snag this guide so you can stop worrying about everything you need to do before you can be legit. Go ahead to theresumerx.com slash NPgrad and get it for free. Can't wait to hear what you think.
So now can you tell us when you decided to become a nurse practitioner and a little bit about that process? Sure. So I remember there's like one experience that always comes to mind with this. I think it was kind of like the light switch moment for me. At the time I was working on the stroke floor and I had multiple um, neurologists tell me like, hey, like if you want to go back to school and get your nurse practitioner, like we would be interested in in bringing you on, um, which was a little bit of noise in the back of my mind. But I think the experience that really changed things for me, and I try not to get emotional about it because it just still moves me to this day, but I had taken care of, and I'm going to try to leave out particular like patient identifiers, but I had taken care of a very young mother on a stroke floor, which is just not something, you know, I'm used to like all these like geriatric patients that had lived these like long full lives. And I had taken care of this young mother who ended up having a stroke as a, as a reaction to chemotherapy. And she had very small children at home. I feel the knot in my throat. I'm so sorry. And she didn't have, I think she really sits like sticks with me because in my mind, and again, I don't know that it's right or wrong, but she did all of the things right. Like she, married a man. They were missionaries in another country. And because of that, she had no health maintenance or health surveillance during her missionary trips. And she ended up getting cervical cancer. And I'm so sorry. Um, It was really bad. It was really bad. I had met by the time that she came home and I had her on my floor and she was just the sweetest human. Um, But she was in not doing well. I mean, it was terminal and her and her husband were just, Oh God, they were just oh, so madly in love with each other. And they, he was like, he would dote over her and obviously being a nurse and having like the medical experience, like I, I knew how this was going to work out and it ripped my guts out. And I was working a ton at the time. So I took care of them for like six days in a row for like two or three weeks. And I could see her declining and the vitals weren't looking good. And the husband, I think knew that it it wasn't going to end well. And they did not want their children up there in the hospital around all this other sickness and sadness. And so one day the, they asked me, they were just like, you know, we, we know that this isn't looking good. Um, and, but we want to know, like, if, if there's no other hope for us, like, we just want to go home and we want to be with our, our children. And I stood in on the oncologist expressing interest in pursuing another treatment for this woman. And he's like, no, no, I'm pretty confident this, this, this other treatment will work. And everything in me screamed, like, it's not working. Like this poor woman, it's messed everywhere. Like she's not getting better. Let her go home and be with her family. And she didn't, she died in the hospital without seeing her children. So ever since then, I was just like, I'm never doing that again. I'm going to advocate much better for my patients. It's a huge regret. And I'm going to advocate to the level of being like the true voice for my patients and really having control over their plan of care. So sorry, I did not mean to make that such a morbid. (laughs) No, that's a, that's a heavy story. It really sticks with me. I mean, how, how could it not? You know, I think we all, we all have patients like that who we never forget that we carry with us forever. And for you, that patient has carried you through to you know, become an NP, you know, almost yes. in, in her honor. So I think that that's really a special, so 
it's a special reason why, you know, like th- that, that why, that purpose that we need to feel to keep us connected with our work. I think that's, that's definitely part of yours. Thank and you for sharing that. I think something I really, and it, it that just sparked something in my mind, like how I carry her with me. Cause I, I truly do like my doctoral project was on vaccine hesitancy and I am a huge, huge advocate for vaccines now because I think a lot was from that experience. Like, you know, you can sit around all day and say, what if, what if, what if, but, you know, had she most likely had the HPV vaccines as a a young child, maybe she wouldn't have ended up in that situation. So yeah, it's just kind of a, I definitely hope to carry that experience in a positive light into my career as an NP. So yeah. yeah. Yes. This is your public service announcement. That <laughs> vaccines are great. Vaccinate um, your children, please. <laughs> and, and you know, the, the HPV vaccine in particular, not to go off on a tangent, it's no, the closest absolutely. thing we have, the closest thing we have to a cancer vaccine for the yes. very, for the very oh, reason brilliant. that you said. Yes. So, um, yes. Thank you for sharing that for sure. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, I want to get into a little bit more about how you approached your clinical rotations, because this is a really great part of your story because you approached this process with a strategy that basically was a win-win-win type of strategy. So yeah, let's go into it. Outline kind of what you did and some steps that you would recommend other people adopt. Um, So sure. So you've like mentioned this multiple times in other episodes, but I just would really love to reinforce it because it works. Clinical experiences 100% rule in or rule out future employment opportunities. And I'm going to just say that again. Clinical experiences rule in and rule out your future employment opportunities. I knew going into that, for me personally, we have a family. We're settled on a 20-acre plot in Oklahoma. We have no interest in leaving. So I mapped out kind of like a geographical circle from where I live of, okay, how long of a commute is too long for me? Like, where would I be comfortable driving every day if I got a job at one of my clinical experiences? And I just reached out. I did a lot of cold calling, but I also pursued every single connection I had made through my networking experiences as an RN. And I just was not afraid to ask for favors like, hey, do you know such and such working at this clinic? Do you think they'd be willing to take on a student? And I put together like packets that I delivered with my resume and my clinical documents that were required. And I should also say like the school that I go to right now is a brick and mortar that sets up your clinical experiences for you. Like you don't have to find your preceptors at all. But I did. Like, I'm like, no, I'm not putting my future in, not saying it's bad, but I just was not willing to put my future in the hands of someone else. I don't want to do rotations in things like, um, what's a good example? Things that I don't like. Ortho. I don't, like, while yes, I'll do a rotation there if it's a short period of time, I don't want to do 200 hours of clinical in an orthopedic office because I genuinely have no interest in orthopedics. And that's just my mindset. Like, no, I want to work in rural medicine. I want to take care of old country men in their overalls walking into my clinic trying to give me a carton of eggs. Like that's what I want for myself. And I want to take care of people in my community. So I tried my best to like set myself up for that. So the one clinic in particular was in my town where I live. And it's actually part of the health system for which I currently work. And I was able to get a rotation 
a primary care rotation with their nurse practitioner. And after a few days of being there, I was just like very vocal about my interest in working there. Um, should a position like ever become available, I was not like afraid to discuss it. I mean, I just I wasn't like hounding them like, hey, I really want a job here. Like I just painted the picture like, hey, if you guys ever have an opening, like I live right down the road. I'm a member of this community. I would really love to be part of your team. I like everyone here. I think we all drive well. Like, and then I went as far as like discussing it with the office manager and towards the end of that clinical rotation. So like after 200 hours of being there, she actually approached me prior to like me leaving one day and said, you know, like based on their projected growth, they like could foresee a new position opening up for a nurse practitioner. And she like instantly offered it to me, just said that I had to like apply for the, like as a formality. Um, and then they would hold it for a year until I graduated. And obviously like the short story of this seems like so easy, right? Like I 100% set myself up for this experience. Like I did all I could to sell myself. I was outgoing and friendly and eager to learn. And I would just like literally jump in every opportunity that I had. Oh, you're short a medical assistant today. Let me draw those labs or let me do the intake on this patient. Like I can go ahead and collect the, the history and do a quick assessment prior to bringing their chart back to you. Or I also like had the foresight to know that Every patient encounter, whether I was doing medical assistant stuff or actually doing my like NP student stuff in that setting was potentially and hopefully one that set the groundwork for like a future patient relationship. Yeah. And for me, it was all about like mindset. I practice like the positive imagery. If that is that what it's called? I think it is like where you like imagine yourself like you're getting ready to take a test and you imagine yourself taking it and you do really well on it. Yeah, like visualization. Visualization, thank you. And like I cultivated that and I like created this experience in my mind and I just did all of these things and to bring that image to life. And I just really worked hard to give it my all. And it turns out it pays off. So here we are. I just I just love everything about that story. I was just like smiling the whole time. <laughs> Mainly because like this is that's the exact process or part of it that I teach, you know, job seeking NPs, but you know, something too is that you said that in that clinical rotation like you brought it up and you said, um, you painted the picture that should they ever have a vacancy that you would love to work for them. And I think that if we think that and we don't say it out loud and then we get mad that we didn't get a job there, like you have to actually, people don't can't right. read your mind, you know, like they didn't know, they wouldn't have known that you wanted to work there unless Not you explicitly all. said, I want to work here. <laughs> so and sometimes it's, so, it's just that easy. You're right. And I think sometimes it's so, gosh, there's days where I sit back and I get so annoyed with like these preconditioned, like this, it's really like a preconceived like idea where as women, we don't want to be like a nuisance to others. So we just don't, we don't want to overstep. We don't want to like, like you've said it before, like outshine. So we like, we bring ourselves down a level or we just stay quiet. And I'm like, no, screw that. Because that doesn't get me where I want to be. Like, I don't want my future in the hands of someone else. Like I want to be in control of A, B, and C. And I know if I can align myself with these things that potentially my future will be what I want it to be. I just think, again, not playing the victim card. I don't have that luxury. <laughs> my family doesn't have the luxury for me to be a victim. So I won't be. I had actually assumed that your school didn't set up clinicals. I, I kind of assumed that that's why you went out and did this on your own. So it was interesting 
to hear that you could have had your school set up your clinicals, but you decided to do it on your own. Because usually for for prospective NP students, like one of my top pieces of advice is to find a place that sets up your clinicals because so many people struggle with this because they don't necessarily know how to kind of have that tenacity to go out and first of all, figure out what they want. And then step number two, actually ask for it. Well, I think it's a lot easier and maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but I just think it's a lot easier to really invest yourself in your clinical experience. If you think that you're going to get more out of it besides clinical hours, like, and maybe that's wrong, but I just feel like going into it, knowing like, Hey, like this could be where I'm at in the long term. Like this isn't just me like logging patients and logging clinical hours to get my degree. And then I'm just going to address it down the road. I hear this all the time. Like, no, no, that's so like, that gives me anxiety that you're doing all of this right now. Like I will think about that later. I'll think about that later. And for me, I'm like, it gives me anxiety to think that you're going to wait just to see if things work out and then think about it later. Like, I don't know. That's just, I guess it's just difference of opinions, but that's just not, that's not how I do things. <laughs> well, I, I really admire how you do things and I, I recommend the way you do things to, to others because it was obviously really successful for you and, and the process itself is, is pretty repeatable, you know, especially if you're someone who is already living where you want to be working. I think that's something that definitely was in your favor. The fact that you were already settled in a community uh, and, you know, it's not like you moved to go to school and you were going to move somewhere else after graduation, which has its own sets of challenges. But yeah, like having that clarity whenever you have it in terms of what type of setting you want to work in and geographically where you want to work. Those are really the two things that you need to hit the ground running to secure a clinical rotation that leads to a job or, or even, you know, just a job after clinicals. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, I want to ask you if there's any big lesson or more than one big lesson that you're taking with you into your NP practice, which will be starting very soon. Yes, I think there... Yes, there's like three main things that I've kind of put, because I've been really thinking about this, like if there was any, because that's kind of hard, you know, it's kind of like a, oh, that puts a lot of pressure on. But I think, I think number one would be, don't believe everything you think. And it sounds so much like a bumper sticker, but it's like, (laughs) but it's so true. Like this pertains a lot to like imposter syndrome and just general like limiting beliefs. And you've really spoken to this in your episode on like oversaturation And like it or not, our truth is manifested from learned experiences. That doesn't make them true. It just makes them learned. So like do your mindset work. I'm actively growing in this. Just in the last like couple months, I have been doing more like workbooks on like cognitive behavioral therapy just to keep my mindset in check. I know for some it comes more naturally, but I think you just have to be mindful about if you're one of those people or if you know that you have mindset issues and I just have to genuinely work at keeping like that abundant way of thinking. And then I think number two would be, and this is really just like a personal plug here, but I think it could kind of also feed into how like going into NP practice, but don't label someone you know as like the overachiever. And this is just kind of a continuation of like my number one, but achievement is all about like personal perception. There's not like a finite amount of success, resources, money, or achievement. We limit ourselves, I think, by labeling someone else's efforts like as the exception to the rule. 
Like if you go around saying things like, oh, so-and-so is where she's at because it's just like payment for overachieving or just being the go-getter, then you're really just like building a mental barrier for yourself. Like whether or not you realize it, like you've said before, beliefs become thoughts, thoughts become actions and actions like give you the results. So if I set my mind to this, like being all, everything that I've achieved being unattainable, then that's exactly what it would have been. I mean, let's just narrow down the focus to where, like I started 10 years ago, if I had set my mind then to being trapped in single motherhood, living off of state assistance without any way out, well, that's probably where I would have, would still be today. I made the decisions I made and then I own them. And where I'm at has nothing to do with statistics and demographics and everything to do with like the personal choices I have made to do better and to improve upon. And Brene Brown, I'm a huge fan. I don't know if you are a fan. I'm like a huge (laughs) fan of Brene. Okay. So I've been like in the last like year, I've read like all of her books and she really, and that's something I probably recommend to like new NPs whenever you're able to pick up like recreational reading is to read some of her work. But she even speaks to this, like the act of stereotyping or labeling others does not do anyone, but especially doesn't do the labeler any favors. Like when you paint people into boxes, all you really are doing is painting yourself into a different box. So for everyone who like repeatedly defines the overachiever or the go-getter, or like my personal favorite is the highly offensive, like the psycho in your class. Like people have called, oh, you're just psycho. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Try rewording your perception or like reconsidering your experience. Like just recognize that what they're doing and the effort it it requires and just like tell them that they're doing great. It's like a pretty moving experience in life when you're able to shift yourself into a place of like being genuinely happy for other people's success rather than doting over what you haven't achieved. And I think it just kind of requires you to level up. And then like, lastly, I think just because I feel like it really pertains to our very virtual world, I think I would recommend that everyone be present in their own life. And I'm not talking about the life like everyone leads on social media. I'm talking like the living, breathing kind of life. Now, that's not to say everyone like should run and delete their Facebook and Twitter accounts, but I do challenge anyone listening to this to reflect on their daily accumulated screen time. If you're spending hours on these apps and you find that you procrastinate in your work or your school or or you find that you're just not where you're meant to be or like it takes you too long to study or complete a project because you're impulsively checking your notifications, then it's like probably time to rip that bandaid off. Or better yet, if you're a person who like struggles with that scarcity mindset, then consider how constant exposure to the posts and images of everyone else's highlights may be contributing to like your way of thinking. And I had to do that. Like I've been off social media for over a year and I'm in a much, much better place. And while I think those platforms serve really like like your platform is phenomenal and it helps so many people transitioning from either nursing to NP or just into nursing in general. It's hard to only get that from it. You know, like it's very easy to get lost in the black tunnel of just like everything else, all the constant stimulation. And it's just really easy to get distracted from your goals. So yeah, that that would be my my big thing, my big three things. You are just so wise. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I just, don't feel it. Most no, days. you. It's, <laughs> it's it's true. You 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 really are, and um, it has been delightful getting to know you and having you on the show. And thank you for 
spreading your wisdom and sharing it with my audience. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a really good experience. And while I even had imposter syndrome for even this, I'm, I feel like it, it did. It went okay. So I hope somebody can learn a thing or two from my experiences. I am confident that it will be very well received. So oh, no good. need to feel like an imposter on this one. <laughs> well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. If you have found today's episode helpful and you would like to support the Nurse Becoming podcast, I invite you to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash nursebecoming. I appreciate your support. This helps me create more content for you to enjoy and benefit from in the future. Also, would you consider giving me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already? It will truly help other nurses find the show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I can't wait to connect with you soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.